Hey everyone, it's Raghu. I'm back with Mind Rolling and uh, somebody brand new to get to know uh, who has this wonderful YouTube channel called After School. That's S-K-O-O-L. And of course, we'll have all of the link-ups in the show notes. Mark, welcome. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So uh, we have a a great mutual friend, Chris Bacinelli, and uh, that's how we got introduced. Chris is a a man of the a Renaissance man who runs around the world doing all kinds of phenomenal. How'd you meet him, by the way? I've actually never met him in person. We, oh, really? We just became buddies through the internet. Uh huh. Yeah, uh, I thought you might have met him when he was uh, wrestling with a sumo wrestler in, in Japan, Chris. He, he knows uh, everybody, though. Yeah, he's really something. Oh, I see, I see. Um, so, uh, well, we'll get into what after school is and all that, but I'm, I'm uh, more interested, uh, well, let's say a little bit about it. Let's let's uh, give us uh, some idea of what it is that you're... Um, offering here and accomplishing with this combination of these, uh, well, I'm going to let you say it instead of me. Sure. It's kind of hard to, to sum up, but basically I, I, I'm an animator and I take different speeches and ideas and audio sound bites and I animate over them. And uh, I come out with a, an episode every two weeks and I usually try to explore some sort of deep philosophical question about what the meaning of life is or spirituality or psychedelics or, or history or it's really open-ended. So it's, it's almost like my own personal journey, but I've, I've animated it mm. and uh, it's just, it's kind of evolved on its own and I've really just pursued intuition and by really exploring who I am, it's resonated deeply with other people and helped them figure out who they are. And, uh, it started off as like a cute little science animation channel where I would pick different scientific topics like why don't country flags use the color purple or what happens when you drink seawater or why does February only have 28 days? In the beginning, it was like these cute little videos for kids. But um, as YouTube changed some of their policies and as I've grown, I, I kind of started making more adult content. Mm. And it's, yeah, we're going to uh, Mark's, uh, uh, we just talked about showing one of them and uh, there's, a, there's one that's uh, sort of a best of that we're going to show uh, at some point during the podcast, uh, which now that I'm thinking about it, well, the audio will still be good. I mean, there's people, you know, we're talking about a podcast, although uh, I wanted to show it because uh, our podcasts go up on YouTube as well. Uh, certainly mind rolling. Uh, but even, uh, yeah, the sound of it will be uh, pretty good okay itself. So we'll be able to do that. Uh, but I'd love for people to see it. Of course, you'll be able to see it because we'll link it up. Well, just, uh, it's it sounds like um, the journey for you is a journey of self-discovery, like it is for all of us as we go through life and as we find uh, a little bit of a, a, a deeper meaning, meaning than the uh, ones which were uh, 
presented to us as part of uh, our familial life, as part of our social life, our education, and so on. And uh, we all bump into it at some point and go, wait a minute here, there's got to be something else. It's what happened to me and most of the people that I talk to on this podcast. So what was it for you that went, wait a minute, there got to be something else here other than what's my job going to be? I'm going to get married and have children and raise them and uh, all of that. I guess it started, it's hard to know where a story begins, but from from day one, my parents actually encouraged me to do art. And before I could even walk, they would throw down a, a, a pen on a paper and I'd kind of like slug myself over and I'd hold the pen in a fist and I'd start doodling. Uh, and I held my pen like that up until second grade. My teachers were trying to beat it out of me. I was a left-handed artist that held their the pen and the paintbrush in a fist. I didn't know I was good at art until um, without even knowing it, my one of my art pieces was entered in a uh, San Francisco de Young Museum competition. Mm-hmm. And I, I won best art piece in this. It was a huge museum. It's like the biggest art museum, probably top three on the West Coast of, of America. How old were you? I was five, four or five. Oh, you And they bring in this trophy that's like much taller than me. <laughs> and cool. at that point I was like, oh, I guess I'm, I'm not that bad at art. So that kind of became my thing. And um, I, I went through a whole host of different experimentation. I, I would draw and paint on shoes. And uh, huh. somehow the newspaper, the local San Francisco Chronicle, caught wind of that. And they did a big story on the, the student that paints on, on their pure shoes. <laughs> really? And that led, yeah, That's once that article cool. came out, I, I got a bunch of other opportunities. I worked for a company called Timbuktu. They make biker bags. And I started painting on their bags and they would auction those off. And the shoe thing really took off, but you know, there's only so many shoes you can paint on. And then it's kind of sad because you work 10 hours on a pair of shoes and then somebody steps in a puddle. So your, your art is constantly, it only lasts for you know, a few months because mm. people are stomping around through the mud in them. Mm. So <laughs> uh, I remember in college, somebody showed a video called an RSA animation where somebody was talking and there was a video of somebody drawing on a whiteboard. And I thought I was so captivated by this video and I thought I could probably do this. So um, I guess I just gave it a shot. I I took a camera and I started recording myself drawing and then I sped the footage up to match a voiceover and it it surprisingly came out really well. Hmm. So uh, the first, I was working at a hospital at the time and they, they found out that I could do this. And the first video they asked me to do was uh, how to properly use a condom. And they had me draw. It was like a PSA for, for yeah. young kids. And that did really well. And I guess it was just a succession of, of things that kept working. And I was like, oh, this works. And then one opportunity would lead to five more opportunities. And then I'd get a bunch. I'd, there was a line of people that wanted videos. And the clients got bigger and bigger until I was working with companies like Facebook and LinkedIn. I'm in Silicon Valley. So these big tech companies want me to, to do videos for them. So that was really cool. And then <clears throat> at some point I, I got really tired of doing art for other people though. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I got taken advantage of quite a few times. You know, I'm a gullible young person and, and somebody says, oh, I have this opportunity for you. And I got duped three or four times. And 
eventually I was kind of like, you know what, let me just do my own thing. I'm going to do art. I'm going to give myself one year to just pursue a goal. And my goal was to hit a hundred thousand subscribers on YouTube. Mm. I didn't really know what kind of content I was going to put out, but I knew that was my goal is just to say no to any, any job, any, just give myself, you know, when I was 80 years old, I wanted to be able to turn around and say, at least I gave it a shot for one year. And it was funny because I wrote in big letters, hit 100,000 subscribers in one year on this date. And literally on that exact date, no. I hit 100,000 no. subscribers. Wow. And the funny thing was uh, six months into that year, I hadn't even gotten to 1,000 subscribers. So I wasn't even 1% of the way to my goal. Six months in, I'm kind of like, okay, why am I doing this? You know, I'm, I'm doing all this work on videos and nobody's watching them. Nobody cares. I'm not getting paid. Uh, but all it takes is one hit. So the first big hit that I had was um, kind of a criticism on the millennial generation. Uh, why millennials do so poorly in the workforce. And that pissed off a lot of people. But sometimes you have to like, what's the saying? You have to like crack a few eggs to get an omelet. Uh, that got a lot of backlash, but that also got a lot of eyeballs on my channel finally. And then I thought, okay, this is how you 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 got to replicate this. You got to make videos that kind of piss people off a little bit, cause a little, you can't just please everybody. And so that those uh, hit the algorithm on YouTube. It's all about the algorithm and uh, getting people that have pretty big followings to share the video helped a lot too. Like Joe Rogan was an early person that promoted some of my videos really? that, that really helped. Mm. And then my big hit was uh, a video titled, uh, why don't country flags use the color purple? Uh, so a lot of the videos I make are original Well, I'll write the script. So this was an original video. And I guess it was one of those questions that you kind of never think about, but then you see the question and you, you want to know the answer. Why don't any countries use purple I wanna know, on their flag? I want to know the answer. <laughs> you know, and it's something you never think about, but you see that question and you just have to click the video. So that video mm. got 10 million views. Jesus. And that, then I kind of just blew up. And I turned that video into a book and I've uh, been trying to replicate that same style, but it, it was childish and, and fun, but that, that's pretty much how I got my start as a YouTuber. Okay, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reel you back a little bit because um, what really interested me, because I'm in, you know, uh, this podcast is all around consciousness, et cetera. Uh, is you know some of the great people that you have taken talks and animated, you know from Eckhart Tolle to uh, uh, Sadhguru and 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 on and Alan Watts and I know and by the way everybody no he doesn't have a Ramdas one I, I, we've talked about it and I'm I'm waiting for you to come to me and go mm -hmm. here give me something so I can do it. So anyhow, I, I had some more evolving to do before I got to that one. I see. <laughs> well, okay, so that's a good word. Obviously, you've picked, you know, different people who have different points of view around the spiritual path, around consciousness. And so w if you look back, how did you even get to the point that you'd be interested in such a thing? As I said before, you know, getting inside yourself and, and knowing more about who you are. Where does that all come from? Yeah, you're gonna tell think, me. You know, it could I, be an acid trip. You know, you know, three years yeah. ago. I mean, I was I was born as a Christian and raised up until my teens as a, as a Christian, being forced to go to church all the time, and I I started to to resent it. 
And uh, eventually my parents were like, you know what, if you don't want to go to church, you don't have to. And then I was kind of a self-proclaimed atheist for a bit. And you know how like teenagers are, they're like, oh, like God doesn't exist. Nothing matters. They're they're nihilists. And then uh, eventually I realized that there's things in life that I want. How do I get them? You know, I can't just be this angry person and get, get this abundance into my life. So uh, I was drawn towards things like a uh, law of attraction and um, like Buddhist sayings and Eastern meditations and yoga and, and things like that. That started to appeal to my, my thinking. And then I came to really love spirituality and I, this stuff works. This stuff is productive to my life. And then I, I stumbled upon Alan Watts. And, it? Yeah, uh, it starts with Alan. Yeah, Alan Watts was probably the first spiritual teacher that I, I got really into. And then um, I, I would give credit to Joe Rogan a lot too. Really? I, I listened to quite a few of his podcasts and he, he turned me on to like people like Graham Hancock, which got me really interested in these ancient mysteries and, and uh, like almost like Indiana Jones, you're trying to find these like lost stories. And then Randall Carlson and that turned me on to uh, Paul Stamets with the mushrooms. And I, I, for me in mushrooms, I really like just, just not the psych, not even just for the psychedelic nature, but I really like going out into the forest and hiking and then looking at mm-hmm. mushrooms and photographing them. And I got a book and I'd ID them and mm-hmm. uh, something about fungus and mushrooms just really interested me. And then I found there's a whole community of people in almost every city that meet up and talk about mushrooms and, so I got it's involved in, in some it's of those. <laughs> Do you know? Yeah, you know about the it's Louis, quite a community. Yeah. Do you know the Louis Schwartzman movie, Fungi? Yeah. Yeah. It's really popular on Netflix right now, huh? It's unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. He's a great guy with all that slow mo stuff that he does. It's really, really great. Um, so it sounds like these roads just uh, converge for you in terms of what you really love to do, and you had uh, you had. You had that purpose going from when you were a child, obviously. And then uh, the category of this kind of wisdom coming to you and you uh, churning it up through both internal reflection and also externally actually um, putting this on, uh, you know, in motion, literally in motion, right? Based on. on, on what the talk was about. Uh, it's it's uh, very unique, very unique, Mark. It's really great. Um, yeah, there's a, there's this idea that I got from a, an author named David Foster Wallace that I really like. He says, there's no such thing as atheism that everybody worships. The only choice we get in life is what to worship. And it, if we kind of like, we've moved into this this new time where we've we've moved away from information we've formed a new civilization. Our, our civilization was originally built around religion and that those common beliefs tied us together, but we're moving away from that. And that's good in some ways, but in, in other ways, it's very chaotic because we don't have that common set of beliefs that tie us together. So we're, we're going off and we're finding God in other places. Some want to worship money or celebrities or intellectuals or science or, or power you know in 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 reality what ties us together and actually some of the ancient ways of being which are still reflected by virtue of indigenous tribes and so on 
I mean, it's a little bit away from what, what you were saying, but I don't think that far uh, because losing our way uh, in terms of connectivity, for instance, with nature, and look what we have done to nature, we have, you know, since the Industrial Revolution, and look where we are right now, and paying enormous, I mean, I, you know, we're all hoping that the price isn't too high <laughs> for what we have done, and whatever is uh, renewable, I, you know, I have misgivings about it, but um, we all need to pitch in and, and see what we can do. This pandemic is an absolute result, uh, in my mind, of, of this and, and really reflective of what we've lost, which is, I think, what you were talking about when uh, the commonality and basis for which we all connect with each other uh, slips away a little bit, and that includes respect for nature, respect for each other, yeah, uh, the cutting through uh, polarization—all of these things are uh, are as a result of losing that. What 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 you talked about losing that uh, the connectivity we had through um, our um, belief systems, which have gotten very skewed. And and as you said, you know. What, what's our God now? Money is our God. Uh, I mean, I think, and by the way, uh, this is a good segue into one of the, uh, one of the videos that you did. Um, I thought was so absolutely reflective of what's going on now. And um, I think you did this with a group called Academy of Ideas. Uh, and it's around mass psychosis uh, and the epidemic of madness that we're in. Talk about that a little bit and how you got together with those guys and, and what they were trying to get across uh, and how re- related it is to now. I don't mm. know when you did this thing, but boy, is it relevant. Yeah, we, Academy of Ideas is one of my favorite channels. I love their, they, they uh-huh. research things for, for such a long time. And I, I've been a big fan of theirs. And, and we have been talking about a collab for for over a year and they said we're working on this really big idea that's very relevant for today and i said this this is going to work this is i i could feel how relevant this was this mass psychosis idea and you know we're living in this time of of great censorship you can't you have to be very careful with what you say or also get shut down right now so we took this approach of of examining mass psychosis which is when an entire population gets struck by a mental illness. And we looked at witch, witch hunts and totalitarianism in the past and, and these things that just sweep an entire civilization, huge population of people will, will latch onto some crazy idea and everybody goes along with it. And it, it's wild because it, they all follow the same kind of stages where, where people are very afraid and some kind of psychopath plays on their fears and says, I have all the solutions, you know, follow me. And, uh, when you're, when you're in a state of uh, familiar, actually. Right. (laughs) So we don't actually talk about what's going on today, but it's so easy to see the parallel. Mm. So we, we, we go over the stages and, um, I don't know, this video really, it, it, it caught on. It's only been out for about two weeks and it has nearly 3 million views. Oh, it's new. I didn't know that. Yeah. It's very new. Oh, yeah. Wow. 
So it really, and, and the funny thing is I've gotten thousands of, of messages and emails after that video. And it's quite clear I've come across this new conclusion from all the messages because everybody can easily see mass psychosis in other people. You know, Trump supporters think it's Antifa and Democrats and Democrats think it's Trump supporters. It's very easy to see the brainwashing in other people. It's incredibly hard to see it within ourselves. Mm-hmm. So I, that's kind of been my next stage in, in my growth is, is cutting ties to any ideology that I'm attached to, which is mm-hmm. difficult because it's so hard to see it in yourself. But I was just reading a chapter from Jordan Peterson's new book, uh, 12 More Rules for Life. And he was talking about how if, if you cling on to an ideology, you'll be in a world surrounded by enemies bent on your destruction. And it's, he says it's far more appropriate to think that you are the, the cause of the destruction of society. It's, it's much more psychologically appropriate to, to look within and think that you're the cause of, of the world in this chaotic state. Um, and it, it's just much more healthy to, to look inward instead of see everybody else as an enemy. Mm-hmm. But why are we the cause Why are we the cause of of this mass psychosis? Yeah. I mean, Jordan Peterson is saying, look inside yourself, cut out, as you're saying, cut out the ideology. And um, so what are we looking, what are we finding or what have you found when you've looked inside yourself that would would suggest that uh, you are part of the, uh, the complexion of this psychosis? Well, that's what I'm trying to fix. And I, it's really hard to see it in yourself. So I'm, I'm just trying not to judge anybody because who am I to judge? I'm not telling anybody how to live their life because I'm in, I'm, I don't think I have all the answers. I've definitely been wrong in the past and I'm definitely going to be wrong in the future and I may be wrong now. So kind of looking at it from this humble place of just, you know, if somebody is, is really charged up and angry, you know, not, not blaming that person, kind of seeing their actions as the end point of a whole set of circumstances that happened up until that point, all their life experiences that led up to, to them behaving that way and not judging them for what they're doing in that moment, kind of just seeing them for, it's kind of like cause and effect. And I, I believe we have free will, but that type of thinking it's sometimes I like to think of people as not having free will because it makes me not hate anybody, not judge anybody, not blame anybody. You know, if I, I see, you could even look at the worst people ever. Like, I don't know, you could look at Hitler and we think let's blame Hitler. He's the worst person ever. But if you don't really believe in free will, or if you, you kind of look at it from everything's just cause and effect at one point, Hitler was just a baby, you know, and all these things happened in his life to, that led to that final end point. So in some ways, I think it's healthy to, to look at people in that way. Like if you get flicked mm-hmm. off in, in traffic, mm-hmm. you know, don't hate the person. Just say, you know what, maybe they're late to pick somebody up from the hospital. You know, maybe their, their son got injured and they're, they're rushing to the hospital. You don't know, you know. So just it, coming from that place of just not judging anybody and um, not telling anybody how to live their life because I certainly don't have everything in order in my life. 
and yeah. just kind of staying in my own lane. Yeah, Ramdas uh, used to say about people whose actions are very harmful: don't hate, hate the actions, not the person. The person is somebody deep down inside wants the same things we all want. We all want to be loved. We want to be safe. We want to be happy, basically. And that's a very difficult thing to do, of course. Um, and, you know, what you're saying to is uh, absolutely true, that uh, we just create polarization by, okay, we have our ideology, ideology, and it doesn't fit with their, them. It's us and them all the way. But I also would say that in my own experience... Um, uh, let me just say it f- out front. People get worked up. That's okay. But I think I did a podcast um, and maybe made some references to Trump last year uh, that were negative. They they weren't harmfully negative, but they were just negative. Uh, and I got some mail, and it was uh, do you? So you have to be a Democrat to be spiritual, that kind of thing, or, you know, just really um, offended. And I, I actually wrote back to at least one of the people, and I said, you know, first of all, I'm Canadian, so I have a much different view <laughs> of, uh, of the political situation in, in, in this country, uh, a, a different perspective, shall we say. Um, but... I'm not talking about the policies that he or anyone stands for. I may disagree or agree with. I'm talking about kindness. I'm talking about compassion. And I don't, this is not something that is being transmitted by this being. Mm. And I think that that's, that's as valid as to say, hey, you have your ideology, you got to get rid of that because you're just creating polarization. That's true too. But there is a deep truth for all of us, and that is, it's, it's like people saying, I want to get enlightened. Forget about getting enlightened, get kinder. You know, it's what the, His Holiness the Dalai Lama says, kindness is my only religion. So I think that, for me, it has to operate at the same time as, as what uh, you're quoting Jordan Peterson actually yeah i've tried my best to stay out of politics and perhaps that's why my videos are are doing pretty well right now is everything's become so political and it's almost like you have to choose a side and i i've been trying to like sift through the chaos and just ride down the middle and inspire people to say that you don't need to choose a side. You don't need to pick one side or the other. You can make your own side. Well, hopefully that's, uh, that's what I'm saying. That's absolutely yeah. true. At the same time, the inner work, uh, as far as I'm concerned, is to become just a better person that, that, is, that is, uh, can radiate kindness and love and compassion. That's, to me, that's the only goal doesn't matter what you do or what you don't do. It doesn't matter what political affiliation you have or you don't. That, that is uh, just at the core of uh, what you talked about before in terms of humanity's loss, that way in which we all are 
um, very um, predictably together because we we started out with with a, a belief, uh, and you can still see it in indigenous culture, um, uh, whether it's uh, around nature or around a deity. Uh, and now, of course, it's it's become over the centuries uh, extraordinarily uh, polarized. But there still is there is this place which all of the major mystical traditions speak of, which is where we are serving each other rather than serving ourselves only. Um, what what's great? So the other thing I found, you did this thing. I love Aldous Huxley. So you did a thing. You, 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 how did that come about? Were you aware of, of Aldous Huxley? I wasn't too aware. I've, I've heard the name quite a bit. And I, I think even in middle school or, or high school, we had to read the book. But I, hadn't, I haven't looked at Aldous Huxley for quite some time. And then um, a good, uh, a, 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 one of the, my people I really like, um, Robert Kennedy Jr., uh, he's, he started posting a lot of things from Aldous Huxley and I, I really resonated with those quotes. So that caused me to look back at his, his very old lectures from the, the late fifties and early sixties. And he had a talk at, at UC Berkeley about brainwashing mm. and how there's a breakdown of 20% of the population can easily get brainwashed or hypnotized or succumb to a placebo 20% no matter what you do, will not be hypnotized. They will not, the placebo will have no effect on them and they can't be brainwashed. And then 60% of people are kind of in the middle and they can be swaying either way, but they're really kind of neutral. So he said the battleground is really over this 20%. If you can, if you can take hold of this 20% of the population, you can create a, a movement that's, it doesn't have to be based on any facts. You can um, kind of radicalize people and get them to do anything. And uh, again, that falls into that same category as the mass psychosis, the mass psychosis video. Yeah, where that's it, why it was a it perfect connection. Yeah, It wasn't talking about what's going on today specifically, but it's so easy to see the, the correlation. Mm. And it's called Love Your Servitude. Right, uh, Aldous was uh, talking about getting people to consent to what's happening to them. Uh, yeah, it's unbelievable. Get people to yeah, love was, uh, their servitude. <clears throat> a scary thought. I'm I'm pondering a, a video right now. I, I think I'm going to make it, but it's uh, it's about the cycles of democracy, and a democracy it usually begins in bondage. And then through great faith and great perseverance, people unite and they break out of their chains and they come into a freedom and abundance. And then after some time, they kind of forget the struggle of what it took to get that freedom and they get selfish and they get lazy and they don't want to be responsible for anything. And eventually you come around to a place where people are dependent on the system and they're disposable. Once you are very dependent, you, you, you're disposable. And then you go right back into bondage. Mm. So again, this is a topic, it's a very old idea about democracy, but it'd be very easy to see where we are today. And then I would take that and relate that to Animal Farm by George Orwell. Yeah. And just, yeah. I think he beautifully illustrates 
the cycles of democracy and how it just goes around. Cool idea. Yeah. So I think I'm going to write that script. <laughs> Hopefully nobody takes it. <laughs> <laughs> Do it now. We yeah. won't put this up for a while. So how about that? <laughs> cool. <laughs> uh, you know that uh, Aldous Huxley, as far as Ramdas goes, when Ramdas started tripping with Leary in the early 60s, late 50s, early 60s, um, they they didn't really have uh, a uh, contextualization of what was happening to them until Aldous Huxley wrote to them and said, read the Tibetan Book of the Dead. And that's when they did, then they did a, a rehash of that in more colloquial English, shall we say, or in a way that people could understand it. Yeah, so it was Aldous that really moved them into the right contextualization of what psychedelics can do and, and do do uh, in terms of the Tibetan Book of the Dead because it, it's all about liminal states, bardos. And, of course, mm. that goes right along with uh, a real psychedelic trip. When I say real, with a, an acid trip where you you die. There's not, it's not the loving little ayahuasca and, and I'm not denigrating ayahuasca and DMT, and, but uh, there is something about LSD that um, it just absolutely shakes your foundation and, and you do have these liminal states, these pardo states. Yes, so that was uh, Aldous who did that. I'm working on a video right now about uh, LSD, the history of LSD. And uh, there is a mention of Aldous Huxley in it about the little gatherings they would have with Alan Watts and Aldous Huxley in, in Los Angeles and around California. So, and, mm. and um, it, it's interesting, the history of LSD where it's kind of a, an amplifier. It's, it's neither, it can amplify good or it can amplify evil. And the government sure tried to use it for evil uh, through MK Ultra and these operations like Midnight Climax and they, they tried to make it this kind of torture mechanism. But in the end, they, they couldn't because it, it ultimately made people loving and yeah, exactly. freed their mind. So yeah. ha, they, they did these experiments. I think I've mentioned this before on, on another podcast, but it's, it's just reminding me. They did this, this experiment in Montreal, where I'm from, uh, at McGill University, w one of the top institutions in Canada. And McGill University had this whole psychiatric department. Uh, uh, and my mother was having, uh, dealing with uh, depression, manic depression. And she was actually in the hospital. <laughs> they, she was part of their CIA experiment. They went in, I don't know how they got with, in Canada and I'm with McGill it was I, I still find it hard to believe but it happened and they they gave her acid so my mother went you know it's crazy so I I said well, mom what what happened when you you know I was expecting to say oh my god I flipped out you know whatever because I don't know where no context nothing was this no before set, you were born? setting uh no, no, this is after I was born. No, hmm. this is so, you know, um, 
I would say late 50s, something like that. And, mm. and you know what she said? God, it was phenomenal. I just <laughs> thought I loved everybody, the nurse at the booth. <laughs> she had a great trip. Mm-mm. And so this exactly reflects what you're saying. They tried to do something with it nefarious and dark, but uh, the nature mm. of it is is to reveal the interconnectivity and love of all. <laughs> so mm. they couldn't even make that screw that up. Oh boy! Huh? Yeah, I just saw this funny little video yesterday of a 1950s housewife taking uh, these the scientists gave her LSD, and you know they're trying to conduct a formal survey and. And they're they're asking her all these uh, questions about her experience, and she's just—you can clearly see in her eyes that she's she's saying she's seen the most beautiful things. And the science are there, scientists are there with this cold expression, but she's mm. she's out there and she's having an experience like she's never had before. Yeah, it's amazing. yeah. It was really. I, have you seen that video? It's no, it's a pretty popular video. Oh really? Oh, send me a link yeah. when you get it. We'll put a link mm-hmm. in the in the show notes too. It'll be fun for people. It'll, little honor of my mother who went through the exact same thing oh boy um and of course you know alan watts started you uh, out on the path it sounds like a little bit which is funny because alan and ramdas were good friends and then they tripped together and they did all they got drunk together they did everything to get, you know uh at, at one time um and uh and that you have this one thing money and ego that so uh uh, the central idea of it is, uh, which I, I really loved, is really around purpose. Finding out what it, dharma, I don't know if you uh, that term which you find your dharma purpose in this life on all levels. And uh, Alan was addressing that. Uh, yeah, how'd you pick that out? And how did, what, what that, uh, how'd you connect with that in terms of your own personal experience? Well, there, there's a, a quick little exercise I do with with uh, people, anybody who seems comes to me and they're a little lost in, in, in their path. There's a really simple exercise, Japanese, called Ikigai. Have you heard of it? Yes. Yeah, Ikigai, yeah. yeah, it's very, very simple, but it's four circles that intersect. And one circle is what you're good at doing. The other one's what you love doing. Uh, what does the world need? And what will you get paid to do? And the intersection of these four circles is your sweet spot and or your purpose. And so it, it's very easy to see in others, like, like the mass psychosis. If, if somebody's a little off balance on those four, you know, you might be doing something that you love, but maybe it doesn't pay any money. So you're, you're upset because you're broke or you might be really good at it, but you don't love it. So you're miserable or maybe it's something that the world doesn't need. So you're making all sorts of money, but you're like, I'm not really contributing to making the world a better place. So if you meet all those four standards, you'll, you kind of feel like you're in line, in alignment. So, uh, that's kind of how after school was born oh. is I've been kind of going between those four circles and just finding where's that sweet spot. And then kind of worrying about the money a little less because I've always been very certain that if you create value, the money will just come. And that seems to has, have always worked. So I was like, how can I impact the most people's lives in a, in a positive way? And even to this day, I haven't really monetized after school too much. I'm not really selling anything. I'm, I don't have that many sponsors on, you know, maybe one out of eight videos will have a sponsor. So I'm not really trying to 
make it this like behemoth of money making, but mm. it's, it's working. It's, you know, it's, it's all working out. Mm. Well, um, this might be a, a, a good thing for us to connect people with Ikigai. How about, uh, you'll, um, you know, uh, send me a note. I mean, we're doing this mm-hmm. in the middle of the podcast, but I'm just thinking that this would be a fabulous thing if we could hook people up to this practice. Uh, can we do that? Uh, yeah, I've used that principle in quite a few videos. Oh, okay, I can, great. Like, I can send yeah. you any. Uh, yeah, link I have a video up. about how to overcome adversity. Okay, that in. yeah, and that that is one that I I did take a pick at, and and I knew you had, which is. Really, it's uh, how to overcome adversity. Start with knowing yourself is is really mm-hmm. it. And uh, there's a great uh, Indian saint named Ramana Maharshi, and his central uh, practice is just sit down. Oh, he well, what he did was he lay down. He was 16 years old, and he couldn't believe that this is this is what it's all about. Right, get married, get the job, big children, the blah blah, and he um, he said, "I got to find out what what's reality, what's the truth," and and he said, "So I'm going to so he asked over and over like a mantra, who am I, who am I, who am I?" And all night long, he did this until he had a realization of the truth behind the body and the emotions and the mind and all of it. And then he he went on from there to land up in a place called Tervanamalai, uh, where there was this uh, beautiful mountain and uh, many people and many Westerners discovered him over the years. He died in the 50s, I believe. Um, but that is a central path uh which is, as you put it, know thyself. Connect, connecting with the authenticity, with your own authenticity, um, and that has to be through some really honest reflection, mindfulness. So you understand your motivations, you understand your self-interest, and so on. That's to me how you get to authenticity. And by the way, Ramdas, that. When I first met him, one of the things that was so immediate for me, the way that he was so self-honest, and it made me feel like, okay, it's okay, we can't, we're human, we screw up, we, it's, it's fine, but let's be honest. Let's be honest about all of that self-motivation. The Buddhists, uh, the Tibetans have a fantastic term, it's called self-cherishing. Boy. Do we do that? You know, all the way to what we were talking about before, to ideology. We're going to cherish that, and and it all ca- cr- uh, creates uh, separation, which is, uh, you know, so many people feel, especially in this last year and a half when you've been quarantined and so on, so alone and so alienated, and it's because of that feeling of we are separate, we are not connected, huh? Mm. Which is why. Um, I, I love uh, you know the work that you're doing, Mark, because it really um, allows people to get in in a delightful way, right? Sometimes when you're just listening to something, it's easy for the mind to get wavery, shall we say? 
Mm-hmm. But when you have this beautiful, these beautiful drawings, which are explicating the words, it's, uh, it's easier to keep focus. Um, and the, and you've, you have people like, um, well, Gabor Mate, I love. How did that come about? I just was thinking about Gabor Mate when you were, when you were going through that last thing because one of his main... Uh, ideas is that uh, all all of uh, our addictions come from childhood trauma, and childhood trauma uh, happens because you suppress your authenticity, who you are, in order to stay attached to an adult. Because mm. we have two needs in our life: the need to be authentic and the need to attach. And when you're a helpless little baby, if you don't stay attached to your parents, you will die. So oftentimes you have to suppress who you really are in order to stay attached to your parents. And the more abusive your parents are or the people around you, the more trauma unfolds in your life. And uh, later on that manifests in adulthood as an addiction. So there's almost a direct correlation between the amount of childhood trauma you have and the amount of addiction you'll have later because addiction provides that warm, comfortable hug of the attachment that you so desperately crave. And I think Gabor Mate touched on that idea so well. And it it goes back to just knowing who your authentic self is. And he's, he goes back to what is recovery. It's, it's reconnecting with yourself. And uh, I liked when you were repeating that mantra over and over again of, of who am I, who am I, who am I? Mm. Well, Alan Watts says that same, that's the same question as what do I want? Mm. Who who are you is the same question as what what do you want? So it's funny when you ask somebody what do you want, it's almost like a personal attack. They're like, what do you mean? What do I want? You know, it's uncomfortable. It's hard to answer. It's such a simple question, and it's not it's not meant to be rude, but it's almost it's I can't even really answer. Like if you asked me that, I'd fumble around with my words, and then probably after like trying for two minutes, I'd say I don't know. I just don't know. But Alan Watts says that there's two types of I don't knows. There's the I don't know when you haven't ever thought about it. Mm. And then there's the I don't know after you've thought about every possibility. And you thought, oh, I want a big house. And then you get a big house and you're like, actually, this isn't what I want. I want a nice car. You get a nice car. You're like, this isn't what I want. After you've explored all your wants and desires, at the very end, you realize, I don't know what I want. But the, the I don't know at the very end is kind of like a letting go. And once you let go, you, he says, you come into this infinite access of power from within. Hmm. Hmm. He's, we have him now on our podcast network, Alan. I don't know if you knew that. Who? Uh, Alan Watts is now uh, on Be Here Now Network, actually. So it, it's, a, it's been a thrill for us because of his closeness to Ramdas. So, mm. um, uh, by the way, Gabor Mate, I did a podcast with him some time mm. back. And yeah, and he goes into addiction isn't heroin and speed and blah, 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 blah. Addiction is anything, anything. And he went into my, tri- he, he did a little therapy session with me. He went into my childhood trauma, right? And then, you know, okay, what is it that you did 
to relieve yourself of this trauma. What did you do that had a repetitive kind of thing to it? And and we went in and it was I was addicted to football. American football. No, Canadian. I'm from Canada. Oh, really? Yeah, which is uh, one less man in a larger field. Uh, so because I, somehow it became, that was my thumb sucking, was playing and watching football when I, when I was young. And I thought, oh, my God, you know, because then, then it tripped me into all sorts of other things, how I used to get teased by it, by my family. And, and yeah, no, that was quite a thing, that podcast with him. It brought up a, a lot of stuff. Yeah, he's he's pretty amazing. Mm, is that really such a bad thing to, to be into football, though? Uh, it wasn't the football itself. It was the emotion, the way I related with it emotionally. Um, to this day, if you if uh, you know, I'm I'm less enamored, mostly because the New York Giants suck. Uh, a football mm. <laughs> that was my team. Uh, it's. Uh, if you put the game on, if it was on, you know, after I got, you know, I mean, summer, so there's no football, or it's starting, just the the field and the grass and the players and the helm, it does some kind of relaxation thing for me. It's insane, okay? Well, it's, uh, it's escapism. Yeah, yeah. You know, it, it allows you to escape reality for a little bit. I yeah, love watching yeah. sports. Yeah, because yeah, no. you, yeah, you exactly. get to leave, you know, it's, it's almost like a soap opera. In a way, for I've heard it's called a soap opera for men because I, I listen to <laughs> yeah, sports. Yeah, yeah. yeah really. I, I'm not listening to like woke seminars most of the time. I'm I'm listening to sports podcasts. Who's on what team? What trades oh, really? are happening? <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm guilty of that more than anything. Uh, so I thought we were about to talk about go. football for a while. Yeah. Well, we have a lot in <laughs> yeah. common here. It looks like yeah, because I'm doing the but same it, thing. But it is cool how you know I, I'll listen to a lot of football podcasts and. It seems like a silly waste of time, but I can go to any city almost. And if another individual is into football, we can have an instant connection. And I, I just spent last week with my uncle who lives in Louisiana and we have almost nothing in common. He's like this huge 400 pound guy who eats yeah. like fried food all day. Oh, yeah. And once we got on football though, we had four hours of stuff to talk about. And then we watched the preseason game, the completely meaningless game, but we sat around the TV and we completely bonded over it. So, mm. yeah. But and actually, Gabor Mate might tear me apart over that. Yeah. <laughs> well, really. But the reality, this brings something else up away from addiction and into how do we transform polarization? Because, you know, we talked earlier about our ideology versus their ideology, etc. And uh, and you certainly uh, can't get into a political conversation with somebody with a different ideology. That's, that's not going to work. It's going to end up in anger and recrimination. Possibly, though, you could talk about football, right? Mm. And in the talking about football, there's a way in which all of that other stuff gets released as happened with your uncle and you just become present with that person. And in that mm. present, presence, presence comes. In the present, presence comes. Mm. That's what be here now is all about. 
So you were being here now with your uncle and then suddenly there was a presence that wasn't, oh my God, what the hell, there's nothing to talk to him about. He's a Trump or he's not or I am and he's a bit by whatever, mm-hmm. Demo- whatever the polarization is, suddenly that goes away. And then, wow, okay, you're, you're a real guy and I'm, you know, here we are. It's, it's hard though today eh, to get to that, here we are. Um, uh, Ramdas actually uh, was successful at it in his mm. uh, after his stroke and in his time in Maui. He, I mean, our guru Neem Karoli Baba would say the only instructions we had: love everyone, serve everyone, and remember God, and tell the truth. And uh, he used to say to Ramdas, Ramdas, love everyone and tell the truth. And Ramdas would say, Well, the truth is, I don't love everyone, and I can't do that. And then he realized <laughs> uh, there's a different level to this. And and he uh, acquired that uh, talent, shall we say, because I saw it with my own eyes where people would come and either with the dumbest ass questions or they were antagonistic or they were this or they were that. And he was a wide open vessel to just be with that person. And uh, so it is possible, folks. Uh, not that Ramdas mm. was an, an enlightened being or anything, but... He had gotten to that level of just being able to being wide open with 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 people and 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 as I said earlier, it's not and he was totally into social action. There was no uh, it, it wasn't I'm going to be a spiritual guy and meditate and now I'm going to love everybody. He was into social action, did a lot of it in his life, all the way to the end. Uh, but uh, at at the, at the same time. One has to, we'll go back to the very beginning of this conversation. One has to find oneself in order, has to look inside, has to do the who am I in order to be able to be of any kind of service to anybody else. Because unless that happens, you're just spinning your wheel. I just went on there, Mark. You should have said something. No, that was, that was great. That was, <laughs> that was really good. Uh, I, I'm, I prefer to listen much more than talk. Yeah. Probably why you don't see me on my YouTube channel. You never see my face because I, uh, I like to just sit back and and listen. But I like your. Uh, it's your narration, isn't it? Uh, is no, it? that's my friend. He's oh, it professor. isn't you. Yeah. Oh, he's great. He's good. Uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I like him. He's he's really good. But I like. Um, go ahead. Oh, I was I was just thinking about the polarization and one thought that I had which is optimistic, you know, it seems like the world is falling apart, but I, I have conversations every day. I see hundreds of messages, pretty much a hundred messages every day, comments, emails of people that are just attuned to the, the division and the ideologies and they're done with it. And they're, they're kind of finding their own way forward and they're finding their self-respect again. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're finding out who they are and they're, they're not going to, let somebody tell them who they are anymore. And I, I'm very encouraged by that. Mm, that's great. That is encouraging. That's wonderful. Um, well, we're at the end of our uh, little chat here. And by the way, there's so many great people that uh, Mark has uh, used their talks and, and done these uh, wonderful animations uh, from Eckhart Tolle. Nikola Tesla, that's a cool thing. I loved, I loved uh, that. Uh, so yeah, you'll check out after school. We'll have all the connect connections there, all the links, 
and uh, and uh, yeah, we're gonna we're, we're waiting for Ramdas. I got we have to have a Ramdas. You got all these people. He got to be there. Uh, oh, it's coming. <laughs> yeah, you know, we did a film, uh, a doc with him before he left uh, called Becoming Nobody, and it was that uh, that idea that and uh, what he used to say. Only nobody gets free. Meaning until you give up that me, 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 that self-interested, self-motivated person, can you actually open up and be of and radiate real kindness, love, compassion, wisdom, etc. And that's what the, the core of the movie is about. That would be great, becoming nobody. I love that. Yeah. It's like the death and rebirth idea. Yeah, exactly that. Exactly. Of course, you have to become somebody before you can become nobody. That's another thing. That's a whole other thing. You know, it's like a pendulum swinging yeah. back and forth. Yeah. Hey, great to have you, Mark. Thanks a lot. Happy to have met you. Thank you, Chris Bachanelli. And uh, uh, we are everyone. We're going to. God, I was going to do this at the beginning, but I guess we're going to do it at the end. We're going to show, uh, the, we mentioned it, we're going to show the, uh, the what's it called, Best Insights, that video? Mm -hmm. Yeah. We're going to put that Best Insights video up, uh, and you'll be able to watch it on YouTube as part of the podcast, or you'll listen to it, one of the two. Well, you can always go to, even if you get these by iTunes and Google or whatever, uh, you can go to YouTube and watch too. So thank you, thank you, thank you for being here, Mark. Thank we you. Shall, uh, everybody, this is Mind Rolling on Be Here Now Network. Go to BeHereNowNetwork.com. And we have a wealth of wonder. You should go there too, by the way. You can get Jack Cornfield and Sharon Salt. You can get a lot of talks there that you could animate, mm. actually. Good idea. Uh, and uh, we'll see you all next week. Namaste. Thank you. Namaste. To the extent that I am anything at all, we could consider me as a separate entity, a set of predisposing characteristics, a program that is manifesting by taking a human birth at this time. I have taken a birth into a body, and that body has with it a personality. I've taken a birth into a personality, and that personality is in a body. And I am going through a set of experiences which is called living life. And these experiences have a certain function. These experiences, if used consciously and intentionally by me, are vehicles through which I can awaken to who I am in truth. Let me take you through an example I often use, just another little metaphorical image and analogy. Imagine, for example, that you have next to your eyes a little control switch and you look at another human being 
on channel one. And what you see when you look at the other human being is a physical body. Man, woman, old, young, fat, thin, pretty, handsome, ugly, interesting. If you're a scientist, you might call them mesomorphs, ectomorphs, and endomorphs. Okay. It's a matrix of individual differences on physical plane. It's the plane of standing on the corner watching all the girls go by. It's that reality. Now let's just say you're looking at another person and you flick your television receiver one channel. Now you look at another person and what you see is their psychology. Oh, you're a manic depressive. Oh, you're a happy person. I wish I was happy like you. People in psychotherapy live on this channel usually. They're totally preoccupied with their own depressions, elations, fears, anxieties, loneliness, hopes, etc. And that's reality. That's the real you. And the physical body is merely the carrier of that. Well, let's flip it again. Flip it again and you look at another person and if you are so trained to be able to see on this channel, you would say, oh, I know who you are. You're a Libra. I can tell because of the... You're a Sagittarius. On this channel, on channel three, there's only 12 beings in the universe and various permutations of them. You are now seeing what could be known as the astral identity of an individual. You're seeing another plane of reality. You're seeing another way of looking at individual differences. These are three ways of looking at individual differences, three matrices, if you will. But now you flip the dial once more. It starts to get interesting. Now if you flip the dial and look into another person's eyes, you flip the dial inside your own being and look into another person's eyes, what you see is another being looking back at you. Inside an astral configuration, a personality, and a body. You in there? I'm in here. How did you get into that one? And you see what the Christians call soul. You see another soul. You see another being, just like you. No different, just like you, just another being. And that you see that all the individual differences are all of the stuff in which this being is encased. Now, you could almost be comfortable with that one, but we unfortunately must flick the dial a few more times. I mean, I must take you the whole journey. You flick the next dial, and what you see when you look into someone else's eyes is you see yourself looking at yourself, looking at yourself. Because on that plane, there is only one of it. It is one awareness that is in a multiplicity of forms. And finally, if you will allow me to flip the dial just once more, if you haven't given up completely yet, you flip the dial once more and you disappear and I disappear and the dial disappears. 
and we're dealing with what the Buddhists call void or in the New Testament before the word that is before the vibratory uniqueness or why God is not able to be spelled in the Hebrew religion it's unspeakable unknowable unseeable unconceivable inconceivable okay now of all of these channels on the television set who are you which one do you want to settle for you want to be middle-aged how about that one I mean I'm middle-aged I guess I'm middle-aged I have a 47 year old body it's like I have also a 1974 Dodge van but you say to me who are you and I don't say I'm a Dodge van why do I choose to identify with this well if I don't pick body should I pick personality I'm somebody on the path that's a good one to be I'm a curious person I'm curious about the future that's a good one I'm a responsible person well I'm kinda wild I'm lazy I'm working on myself <laughs> these are all different psychological takes of who one is each plane each turn of the dial has a different statement of your identity and each one is getting into a more and more profound place now when we come back to who am I which channel are you talking about if we start from the top and go on down into the grosser planes I am the void who manifests as the one who becomes the many who has a unique set of factors to work out through a unique astral psychological and physical body that's what I'm doing on earth I have taken a body to do certain work and when I finish that work I will drop that body we are dealing here with the issues of karma and reincarnation now in the West after the councils of Trent Constantinople and Nicaea anywhere from about 200 to 500 AD these ideas were roughly thrown out of Christianity because they didn't make the church a workable situation because when you had reincarnation and karma every human being became their own priest because it was between you and God and for the church to keep its own control and see its function as keeping people morally living properly it had to get rid of those concepts have I taken birth before I have no experiential knowledge of that but from where I'm sitting undoubtedly thousands and thousands and thousands of times will I take birth again undoubtedly thousands and thousands and thousands of times I have to tax your brain with one more difficult concept as long as we were dealing with your body with your personality with your astral identity or with your soul we were dealing in time time passes things change 
The minute we got up into the higher plane than that, in the one, there is no time anymore. Time is relative. Now we're dealing with the place where when you know yourself as that, you just are. You are going nowhere and you are coming from nowhere. The Zen master says your going and coming is nowhere but where you are. Now, if you can start to sense, I mean, you don't have to believe what I'm saying just because it's the way the universe looks to me. But if you could empathize just enough to appreciate how it would be to be looking at the world from this point of view, if you imagine what it's like to see your life as so functional to your awakening and your death equally so, that the whole business becomes merely a process of growth and awakening and opening and deepening and clearing and shifting channels. And there is no problem about transition. There's no holding on out of fear. It's just opening. 